0: RPN, The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Months in the making. Tonight night is the night. The one where we look back at Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. I'm John Champion.
1: And I'm Ken Ray. Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. That is when we get together to talk Trek and Trek-related topics. This week... Summing up season two of Star Trek Discovery. Pike, Spock, number one, and the Enterprise are right where we met them. Burnham, Saru, and the Discovery crew are a thousand years in the future. But together, they gave us 14 weeks of TV. What did you like? What did you not like? Do you want to lay bets on season three? John's taking a little side action. <laughs> Lines of communications are open. You can join our Zoom meeting. You can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can call 669-900-6833, 669-900-6833. And it would be just like you being on with us if you were on with us.
0: That is true. That's exactly yeah. what that would be like. You know who is on with us right now? No clue. That's all the people in the chat.
1: Oh, hello, You're people in the there.
0: chat. They're already chatting. Uh, there's Lieutenant J.T.L. Coco hanging out in the chat. There's Benjamin Miner. There's Matthew. Hey, Benjamin says, where's the uh, Zoom meeting link? It's in the show description. So if you click on that, you will find the, the, uh, the Zoom link and the, uh, the phone number to call. Uh, there's Lars. There's uh, Tomas. There is Keith. Keith says, hello, John, Ken, Earl, computer, and some guy from the future we've never heard of. Uh, there's Evan. There's Chuck. Uh, there's David. There's Casey. Uh, there's Kim, there's Josh, just everybody. Everybody is in the chat right now. Barbara, uh, uh, Ria says, hi, Earl and John and Ken and everybody. So just so many people. Uh Cosmo, hey, our buddy Cosmo hanging out in there as well. So good to see everybody there. And I know that we have like 300 people on standby right now on the phone. So I can't wait to get to at least 289 of them and uh, see how we do tonight. And in taking your calls and your questions and your comments. And by the way, the plan is to continue this discussion next Tuesday night with a guest. So just go ahead and spoil that that part. Let you know, that if you don't get in tonight or if you have further comments to make, oh, we'll do this again. There's a lot to unpack here with season two. So we don't have to get to all of it tonight. And uh, you're welcome, Tomas, for me saying your name right. I'm glad I had a 50-50 chance getting that right. So we would like to thank you all for checking us out here live on Facebook, or if you catch the video later at youtube.com slash RoddenberryProd. That is cool, of course. And certainly if you check out the audio-only podcast, well, we welcome you there too. Wherever you find this, please hit like, please hit share, and let the world know that we'd like everyone to join us here on Tuesdays to talk Trek.
1: We've got uh, stuff coming up. We got things coming up. We have a thing in Sansar. Not the thing in Sansar, but the thing in Sansar. Yeah, it's another thing in Sansar.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm just reading about it right now. I'm sorry. We didn't put <laughs> it in our show notes. So, yeah, I uh, didn't.
0: I, I've got the page up, though. Do you uh, Do you want me to pull it off of that?
1: Well, how about I say what it's called, and then you can say a bit more. We'll pretend like we actually rehearse this part. We got an event okay. coming up in Sansar. It's actually in the Roddenberry Theater in Sansar. It is called A Crash Course in Star Trek with Rod Roddenberry. Say, John, could you tell me a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, so the whole idea is that Rod wanted to dig a little deeper into grabbing uh, video clips, interviews, archival stuff, and and do what he is calling his crash course in Star Trek. So mostly it's going to be driven by Q and A, but he does have some video that he's from, and uh, the the exact title of the video escapes me because again we didn't rehearse this part like we normally. Would just do a complete run through of the show before we do the show, uh, so I don't have that in front of me. But I, it is focused on Gene Roddenberry. Uh, dive even deeper into the life and work of Gene Roddenberry as the son Rod screens a special artist biography, reflects on the Roddenberry legacy, and answers fans' burning questions. And I'm sure that there are many burning questions. In fact, in fact, before we get to that, there was a burning question in here in the chat. Chris Riker says, "Pin identification class." John, I'm guessing the USS Domino's. Uh, Sorry to disappoint, or actually, uh, I really want to point this out, uh, Chris. This is actually a pin from the 1964 World's Fair that a very good friend gave me. And I uh, I love that pin. Yeah. Genuine, authentic relic from the 1964 World's Fair in New York. Kind of cool, huh? It's pretty
1: neat. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can find me one of them.
0: I hope you can. I hope you can. (laughs) Of course,
1: I'm a 39-world fair guy myself, but I didn't wear my pen tonight, so uh, so sorry about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hey. The other thing, of course, that we want to make sure that everybody is aware of and, and you know where I'm going with this, you know what I'm gonna say. So please follow up on it. We are hosting our fundraiser for Scott Palm. Scott is an extraordinary individual. He is somebody who works with the Pop Culture Hero Coalition, that of course was founded by Chase Masterson from DS9, friend to the show, and Scott is a friend of ours and a friend of hers. He has been working tirelessly on uh, a campaign within the Pop Culture Hero Coalition to address kids with disabilities and their peers. So it's a two-pronged approach for two reasons. One is to help those kids with severe physical disabilities To learn values of self-worth and self-identity. The other part is to reach their peers to teach values about inclusion and how to deal with kids who are not like them. So the more money that we raise through this fundraiser, the more Scott and his assistant can go to schools and implement this program. Scott, as you may know, has cerebral palsy himself, and he is an excellent advocate for people with disabilities. So Go to the link that you will find at facebook.com slash mission log pod or twitter.com slash mission log pod. It will be pinned to the top of the page in both places. And if you donate even a dollar, that dollar gets doubled by the Roddenberry Foundation. Yes, yeah, so the Roddenberry Foundation will match hundred percent every dollar that we raise. Now we're being ambitious here, but the whole idea is to get this program out time and time again, over and over in as many schools as possible that can be reached by Scott and his assistant. He needs to travel with somebody physically to get into the schools and reach these kids. So again, go to our Facebook page, go to our Twitter page, click on that link, donate. Every little bit helps because every little bit gets matched and then doubled by the Roddenberry Foundation.
1: So, time for the poll question. I cannot believe last week's poll. I cannot believe why, why the results from last week's poll because they're almost exactly divided. Almost. Because I was like, because I'm seeing these decimals here. And I was like, why? why do we even bother with the decimals? And then I read the big numbers. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Uh, uh, the question was, do you think the beard was working? Of course, Spock, you know, showed up and he had the beard and he had sort of the scruffy hair. And, uh, and then the big reveal in the very last episode of season two was he had, uh, he had, uh, he had shaved his face. He'd cut his hair. He looked a bit more like uh, the Spock, a bit more like the Spock that we were used to, the one that we've seen on screen, you know, almost all the time, except for when he came back uh, in Star Trek, the motion picture, he was a bit scruffy then. Yeah. So the question was, do you think the beard was working? Calling back to what Michael Burnham had asked him when they first met up in uh, season two of discovery. Uh, here's suit. Forty nine point seven percent freshly shorn, 50.3 percent, almost evenly divided on do you like him with the beard, do you like him without the beard, which is kind of amazing.
0: I love that. I, yeah, I, just, I love that That it's down to the decimal point on and that.
1: It's one of those things, too, where I wish I could ask a follow up question like now, is that just because it brings us back to the kind of spot that you expect to see when you watch Star Trek? Or is it really that you thought the beard just wasn't working and you like uh, you like uh, Ethan Peck freshly shaved?
2: I don't
1: know. uh, We'll never know the answer to that. unless people want to call in and tell us six, six, nine, (laughs) nine hundred, six, eight, three, three, or use the one tap from your smartphone or the Zoom link on the Facebook page. Uh, Just because Discovery is done, we're not done with polls. John, there is a question for this week.
0: Well, this week is pretty straightforward. We just asked you Star Trek Discovery season two thumbs up or thumbs down. And uh, right now, well, the last I checked was just moments ago, thumbs up, 90%, thumbs down, 10%. Fascinating. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I think we hear from a lot of people from uh, all walks of life with all points of view and some very kind of deep critical analysis, some of that deep crit- critical analysis very much uh, uh, in favor of Discovery and the things that they like in it, some of it uh, uh, going deep into the things they dislike about Discovery. So, Ken, as you just mentioned a moment ago, they could even share some of that critical analysis with us tonight if they call in.
1: Yeah, I certainly hope they will, because otherwise this show is going to be a lot of you and me.
3: <laughs>
1: right, right yeah so let me remind people one more time 669 is the phone number to call 669 or you can use the one tap from your smartphone to join us by video or go to facebook.com slash mission log pod and uh and click the link there and you can uh, you can be on video with us what's really interesting about living in the future and working in the future as we do compared to where we used to live and work you can actually call in without calling in Mm -hmm. that's what that's what uh it's it's adam right who did that john is that correct
0: yes yeah adam sloman who is a listener all the way from the uk that stands for united kingdom uh he lives in england and he wanted to send in his thoughts about the show so we're going to play that video for you uh here in just a second edited it down just a little bit but he, he makes some good uh general points here that i think are going to kick off our discussion so uh earl If you would do the honors and uh, run the video from Adam, and we will be right back.
4: Good evening, Ken, good evening, John. Um, I'm sending you a video message from the UK, uh, for tonight's episode. Um, obviously, the time difference means that it's really difficult for me to listen or watch live on Facebook. Um, so normally, uh, you guys keep me company on my commute to work on a Wednesday morning. Um, but I just wanted to send you my thoughts on Discovery so far, what's been good, what's not been so good. Um, so yeah, I think probably the the weakest thing um, so far has been the stories that have carried across the whole season. Um, Season two has been much, much better than season one, in my opinion. Um, And I think it's really interesting that now they've decided to do what a lot of people wanted them to do in the first place, uh, which is to throw the ship into the future and be free from um, the existing framework that exists around Star Trek, avoiding the, the C word there. If you look briefly back at season one, it was supposed to be this Klingon war story and then they got sort of five or six episodes in and went actually we're going to take a hard left and the rest of the season is going to be about the Mirror Universe um, and then suddenly you have to shoehorn in all this stuff about the Klingon war and ending the Klingon war at the end of the first season Um that was strange, uh, and just as the the second season was supposed to be about the um, whole debate of science versus faith, which is a really interesting Star Trek idea, suddenly control came out of nowhere, and I still don 't know what control was or where it came from um, but there are there are stories that could work um, but I just don't think that the the, the two storylines they've done so far have really been strong enough to stretch across all those episodes. I hope you guys can get to an event here in the UK soon. Um, I'll leave you with uh, a little glimpse of my, uh, my framed ELO poster, which is just behind my head. Um, Keep up the ELO references as well, John. Okay. Take care guys. Cheers. Bye.
0: Incidentally, I got to hang out with Adam when I was in the UK recently. So that was very cool of him to to send in a video for us to chat about. Now, uh, I did cut it down a little bit. Uh, One of the things that he said in the video when he got into a little more detail was saying, you know, you can take a story like the plot of Star Trek VI where you've got uh, an environmental catastrophe, you've got an assassination attempt, you have the political intrigue, you have peace in the galaxy at stake. um, And you could justifiably take a story like that and stretch it out over, say, a half a dozen or more episodes if you were to make that into a TV series or or make that part of a TV series. He even uh, jokingly said you could take an episode like uh, Schisms and uh, make that into multi-part TV. He was kidding about that one, of course. Um, but, you know, it, his question raised uh, a point that that I, I guess was one of my overall notes for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, which was to say, well, at the end of the day, we had all this plot detail. And, uh, of course, we would do that in our recaps each week on Mission Log Live. But then at the end of the day, I asked myself, well, well what's it all about? What's the story actually about? So you have a, a plot point and you go in one direction and then another direction and another direction. And there were two things that really stood out to me that were sort of the, 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 the key what if story moments. And the first was early on. Ken, you and I both love New Eden, that episode where we first visit Terry Lysium, And it feels like they're really setting up the possibility of a discussion about faith versus science. And that could be uh, an idea thread that took us through the entire series. Now, as I recall, at the very end, when Burnham is about to make that jump in the time suit with the time crystal, don't forget, um, Spock says, yeah, you need to do this, because the you now needs to go place those, uh, those red markers throughout the past, the recent past, in order to get us here. And she says, oh, it's like a leap of faith. And Spock says, yeah, but it's kind of based on logic of what we need to do in this situation. And I felt like that was the sort of the, um, I felt like this was an end of a conversation that really had fizzled out. Yeah. Um, and then the other big interesting idea, the other big topic that I felt we could have gotten into was artificial intelligence and What actually meant uh, uh, what actually could be considered life within the sphere data or within control? What were they doing? Why were they doing it? It just turned into kind of the the mustache twirling bad guy. Now, the upshot is we got a bunch of cool space action. I think Leland was uh, scary enough. I thought Leland died really well. (laughs) I thought that was uh, uh, an exciting special effect. And and you, you were kind of pulling for that scene to happen. So there were plot points that happened that I felt like if all I'm following is just the plot, I'm okay with it. But it also felt at times like it was a slog to get to the points that didn't feel like they were big ideas anymore in the show. Um, I don't want to ramble here too much about that, but uh, that's uh, th- that's where I'm on the same page here with uh, with Adam. Uh, and yeah. also that that ELO poster rocks.
1: That EL po- ELO poster is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, it feels like we were all reading each other's notes. Um, two of the things that I had here. And, and I, I did two stacks of notes. One was things that sort of disappointed me about uh, season two and then things I really liked about season two. And you and Adam have both hit on two of the things that I had on my uh, list of disappointments. There was talk of examining faith in this season. Um, Not something that I would have chosen to do if I were choosing, you know, like what theme should we address, but okay. Having said that, that's what we're going to be doing. uh, They might've done it and they didn't. It reminded me honestly of um, you and I have talked about episodes of star Trek in the past where it's like, did they say anything important or did they say it in such a way that we were made to think that we had seen something important. Do you know what I mean? Because there was like all the references to faith in the beginning that Pike had. And then that quick thing at the end, I think you're supposed to think that you actually saw an examination of something. And really, we didn't that much. And the same thing with AI. Um, It's a real threat, honestly. I mean, it it may be a wonderful thing. It may be fantastic the way it's employed. Uh, It may also be disastrous. And we are honestly right now living through finding out how this is going to play out, right? But let's say it's too heady for Star Trek discovery. At the very least, you could talk about, you know, humans potentially being the architects of their own demise and how we might avoid that, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you can't talk about AI because we don't quite know yet, or we don't have a, you know, full understanding, or it's too much for the average TV viewer. I mean, any of those are reasons that you might not want to talk about artificial intelligence, like the actual, you know, zeros and ones of the whole thing. But talk about the fact that this was a thing that we created that nearly killed us have have we ever done anything like that before people on this planet <laughs> maybe that would have been a thing to address as well there was lots of they 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 ran up against a lot of really big issues uh, without actually uh trying to go over around or through them they just yeah. were, like ran beside it and then it's like okay well you're going a thousand years in the future you're going to stay you know here and we're going to move on yeah.
0: Well, right. It was like, here's a thing. Here's an idea of faith versus science. Uh, now let's have a plot twist so we can set up the cliffhanger before the next episode. Yeah. And, and, and I'm okay with structure in that way where you say, all right, well, we, we need to keep going from episode to episode, but, uh, uh, also carry the story, uh, the from episode one to episode 14. Like, I'm okay with building a serialized story here. Uh, But when you present something really provocative, really intriguing, and we all know Star Trek has dealt with ideas of faith and science before in its long storied history. um, Why not just go there? Why not go there again and let that conversation play out in a new and interesting way with new and interesting characters? So, um, yeah, that that is one disappointment. Uh, But I tell you what, let's let's see if our next caller might have something to add to this conversation unless Ken, you want to you want to jump in here before we do that well before we
1: get to the next caller i want to remind people how they can be one of the next callers 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call 669-900-6833 or use the one tab from your smartphone or use the link in the uh, facebook page facebook.com slash mission log pod and now john please don't let me interrupt you anymore get to our (laughs) get to our next first caller
0: Yes, well, we have Jonathan standing by, and Jonathan, Jonathan dressed for the occasion. How are you tonight, Jonathan?
5: Ben, sir, thank you. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller, so kind of excited to be here. Cheers. Excellent. Thank you very
1: much for calling in. I'm totally jealous of your jacket. I'm totally, for people who can't (laughs) see, by the way, that is, uh, that's Picard from the movies, is that correct?
5: Darmok, Picard in the Darmok jacket with actually Uh, a a uh, Roddenberry.com badge. Nice. Nice.
1: Times. very cool very cool what's yeah. on your mind tonight
5: um just a couple of thoughts about season two um the first thing i wanted I'll, I'll start out with some of the more positive things and they'll be very brief points one is that i was going yeah. to say that i really enjoyed the season finale but i feel like it would have worked better as a series finale that the way that the story concluded would have been an amazing way for them to say okay we've had this many years of this story that is a star trek discovery and now we're going to fly them off into the future and leave that as kind of a cliffhanger for the imagination of the audience to take over that we wouldn't actually see where they ended up or what they ended up doing and what their environment would be like. But we are where we are. Um, I, I thought it was a great way to end the season, but might've served it better as a series finale. My second thought was that it also kind of reminded me of, um, and I'm going to do a little bit of a throwback here, an old show called Sequest uh, at the end of Season 2 of SeaQuest, uh, *DSV*, the entire ship and crew jumped forward about 20 years to the year 2032, and it was kind of a reset to kind of say, okay, well, we're going to basically wipe everything a bit clean and start over from the ground up. So this is kind of reminding me of that a little bit. Um, anyway, I don't know what your thoughts were on that before I jump into my last point, but...
1: I know that when we were talking about the few weeks ago, the possibility they might just dump them off in the future. I was excited about that idea. John was not so much excited about that idea. I do know that I have worries about how they're going to do it, but I kind of like the fact that at least the whole thing's not going to be built on, okay, how do we explain that Michael Burnham knows Spock without us ever having heard of her? And how do we make this person meet that person? And should we go see the Telosians again? I like the fact that everything <laughs> they're doing from now on is either going to be, I mean, obviously there's going to have been a federation. There are going to have been all of these characters. And so like, what of that survives a thousand years, right? What, like, what, like, what do they come back to or what do they, you know, land in a thousand years from now? It'll be interesting to have that without playing connect the dots the whole time to, mm-hmm. well, we know they're 10 years before this. so Let's go ahead and connect those. I kind of like it. That said. I love that idea as a series finale. But if you come up with an idea that good for a season finale, can you really say, all right, well, let's just sit on this for three to seven more seasons. I mean, depending on how long they're going to go. But, um, but yeah, you, like you say that, and I'm like, yeah, that actually would have been a lot of fun. But but I am excited to see what you know what we end up with because they, oh, certain. they shot them a thousand years in the future. John?
0: yeah yeah I agree i mean i i don't want that to be the end of discovery, and we know that it's not the end of discovery they They already announced season three um but yes, that would have been super cool to end it like that because it it really felt that way. It really felt like we were wrapping up Discovery and we're starting this other mission with Pike and crew. And and, and you could have ended both of those stories right there because we can kind of infer what happens to Pike and his crew later on. Of course, we all want to see more. But I I like the idea that it was a cliffhanger in the respect that we don't know what's going to happen. We want to see more. But it was a positive type of cliffhanger like, a, wow, what's going to happen next instead of, oh, my God, what's going to happen next when it's Riker <laughs> opening fire on Locutus. Right. You know? so, uh, but yes, it, it totally would have worked that way. Um, what else are you going to say tonight?
5: Okay, last point, because I know there's a lot of other people waiting. Um, I, I have concerns about Captain Pike. Not that I didn't absolutely love uh, watching Anson Mount portray him on screen. a great story. But my concern is that Pike was almost too perfect of a character, that there wasn't enough direction for him to grow. I feel like if we had to have a Pike series... He is such a perfect archetype of what we would hope for in a Starfleet captain that he would really have very few places to go other than down, or else he would be incredibly boring for the for the course of years where there's essentially no conflict. He's got a perfectly straight moral compass. Uh, I know I I'm I'm in the minority by being a bigger fan of Captain Lorca than Captain Pike, <laughs> but um, I, you know he was it was a great captain. It was great to see him in Discovery, but I would be concerned if he you know kept going if they kept that character going continuously. In, in the form of another series rather than, as you suggested in the past, like standalone movies, you know, once every year or something uh, along those lines. And is there, I guess my last question to you before I leave is, is there such a thing as too perfect of a captain? Hmm.
0: Interesting. Well, I, I don't think that Pike is too perfect. The, the, I, I see what you're saying. He he is a, uh, out of many of the characters that we've seen on Discovery so far, he is so admirable. He he is the uh, sort of the moral center of the show. Admiral Cornwell says that about him. He was like, even if everything else died, you embody what is best about us, which was a really great moment, I, I thought, for, Uh, For the characters, but it was a great moment for the show, acknowledging what Star Trek is about, you know. Um, But here's the thing. Pike, uh, if you go back to Jeffrey Hunter's portrayal of Pike, that was a guy who was worn down. That was a guy who was ready to give it up. And this is a few years later, and this pike has been reinvigorated, but he's walking around now with a couple of things. He was walking around with the, the guilt of not having been a part of what happened during the Klingon War. They brought that up at, at least once in the series. Um, he's also now a guy walking around with this horrendous knowledge of his own future. Now, he, he played the moment the way that we want our hero to play the moment, which is even though this will be terrible, I have to do this thing. I am compelled to do this thing. I actually, I, I brought up an article that, uh, that I put in our notes. And, and Ken, I don't know if you uh, saw it in there or not, but there, there's an article saying, uh, it was on tour.com, Star Trek Discovery proves Captain Pike passed one test, Kirk failed, which is a Kobayashi Maru. Kirk was the guy who's trying to cheat it. He was saying, oh, there's no way to win this thing. I'm going to cheat it. Pike was faced with a no win scenario. And he had to go with the way that was was ultimately self sacrifice to say, I, I have to do this thing, even though this is a terrible thing to do. I, <laughs> I, there's no way that I win in this scenario, but yeah. I have to do it. So I, I think the way that Pike was written for Discovery, I think he's complex enough, I think he's deep enough that even if he is the moral center, even if he's admirable, you can still present situations that are a challenge to him. I, I, I have faith that, that whoever might write that series, if we get that series or mini series, <laughs> please give us anything with Pike in it again. I think they could do it. I really do.
1: Yeah. The, the one thing I would add to that is back in the day, we might've thought that uh, Kirk was a perfect captain. And you know, obviously, watching it fifty years later, we see a bunch of things that Kirk did that were like, "Ah, it's wow." I don't know, but at the time, I don't think we question uh, Kirk's moral center, right? We don't question uh, Pike's moral center, as John said. But I mean, you still come across situations. I mean, take uh, take symbiosis from Next Gen. Mm-hmm. You had you had one planet that was completely dependent on selling drugs to another planet. They're both going to go through really terrible times if that whole you know thing keeps going the way it's going, or if it gets broken up. Mm-hmm. And and it took a long time, but they finally decided, okay, here would be the right thing to do. We didn't question Picard's moral center in that whole thing. He's he's a good captain. He's as good a captain at the beginning of that episode as at the end of that episode. And yet all through that episode, it's like, what, what do I do with this now? How how do we deal with this now? I mean, those are the kinds of things that uh, that I think you could expect uh, Pike to deal with. And then of course there's the impending doom that John talks about, and then you still have the possibility of going lower decks. I mean, number one would not just be a prop for uh, Spock and Pike. Uh, Spock would not just be a prop for number one and Pike. I mean, they're still going to have their things going on, and it's a whole ship full of people. Boyce is wandering around someplace wondering who he can make a drink for, for crying out loud. Seriously, an older character, you know, dealing with a bunch of younger characters. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that could still happen there. And then you also have, you do have Pike being Pike. Okay. You do have him being his moral center, and he might even be wrong. He might even follow his moral center straight into a "Wow, that got lots of people killed." Yes, you know, see also the cage. Now I mm-hmm. think about it. So, and and plus, like John said, please, anything more was like.
0: <laughs> and uh, and I, by more. the way, there, there was some guy had in my notes about the the positives of uh, season two of discovery. Uh, there was this something about the the chemistry between. Pike and number one, and, and I don't mean romantic or whatever. I mean you sure go write fan fiction, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, but there was there was something that that they were able to get across uh, in the total show don't tell uh, with these two. As soon as you have them on the bridge, giving a glance to each other, just in the simplest of dialogue, you get it. You get it that these two work together well. They respect each other. They know each other's next move. It was really cool to see. And I, I love number one. We got so little of her. We got a lot of Pike. But that's what I want to see going forward. It was that that teamwork that I totally bought out of them even in the, the short moments that we had with them all kind of crammed into the end of the series. Uh, but but that I just thought was so well played. That's a real testament to the actors. And again, not overriding the scenes that they had.
5: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this was this, a lot of food for thought and I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for, hey, for calling
0: go. in. Yeah. See you yeah. in Vegas this year.
5: Sadly, no. Um, I kind of have a deal with my wife that we will only go every other year. Um, so it's, you know, for the sake of the marriage. <laughs> so yeah. So, <laughs> All right. Not this summer, but definitely next summer. I will see you then. And with that, I yield the rest of my time. Thank you, sir.
0: Thanks a lot, Jonathan.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, I'm going to foolishly give out the number again, but we have a lot of people lined up 669 is the phone number to call 669 or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can go to our Facebook page and, uh, and join us there. Uh, Karen is up next. Karen, how's it going this evening? Can hear me? Can now, uh, yeah. Sorry about
6: what's on,
1: that. What's on your mind tonight? Oh, hey. I, so I'm guessing she voted for the beard.
6: Yeah,
0: check I- that shirt.
1: Yeah. Nice. Again, I, I, we need to quit doing that. So she's actually wearing a, a stylized version of Ethan Pax Spock with a bit of the scraggly hair and uh, and the full beard going. So, uh, so Yeah.
6: I'm fully confident that I would also love Shane Spock. However, if I could see more of him along with Pike, that would be awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, Fair no doubt. Uh, what's on your mind tonight?
6: Well, just picking out what you just said, it is interesting that Pike and number one, you felt like they had worked together for 20 years, that they had that kind of bond that you would see in people who had just worked together so long, they can finish each other's sentences, you know? Yeah. So it had have fantastic chemistry, but I was going to bring up because I did really love the season overall. I see the weaknesses. I take everyone's points and I agree. And there's certain things that I wish had been followed up on. Um, one thing I hope to see them do more of maybe is, uh, You know, more of the round table talking, more of the discussion without it. You know, you get you get into this quandary. And I do think that that creatives listen to this. And it's too bad because you have these criticisms of being too talky, you know, uh, you see it across the board. I have listened to it from a million people with game of Thrones last week, you know, it was too talky and it's like, well, you've got to have conversations. You've got to have discussions. And I think we'd see more development that we want to see. That seems familiar. If we could have a little more of those, uh, you know, meetings, it doesn't have to be with a chief engineer. It can just be our characters, but I do. I do want to, to say What I found positive and what I think looking back at the season that I really loved, that was not the kind of theme that people are always looking for, but it was kind of a season about disconnection. Hugh was disconnected from himself. Michael was disconnected from Spock. You know, uh, you had all, you had various little, and how to solve that disconnection, which in the end for everybody, it was reaching out was not to push away. And you kind of see this repeated in little... So you see it repeated in little ways throughout the season and some big ways, especially with Spock and Burnham. And uh, so I do feel that there was an undercurrent of, of theme there that they handled really well. The big ideas, yes, we had some lack of vision for the big baddie or for certain, you know, really big elements. But I feel like character thematics, they did so well. And that's what I really connected with throughout the whole season. You know, he had Saru disconnected from his planet and his family. And and then he lost his ganglia and he was, had to learn himself all over again. So you did have that running through the entire season, really. And- (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. That that's something that we we have pointed out a little bit. I feel like, but I, and I'm glad you you brought it up uh, because even when I feel like the show sometimes goes off the rails with a plot point that maybe I'm not that invested in, uh, they found good places to have good character moments. Now, some of those moments I prefer chasing more than others. Some I feel like kind of get overplayed, or or whatever the case may be. Uh, but they have taken more time in discovery than in previous Star Trek series to focus in on a character and, and multiple of kind of the the second-tier characters, not always just the stars of the show, but you you go to the, the co-stars and other characters and give them their moment at least and and show some complexity, show some backstory and background for them. It can be argued how much of that you want <laughs> or you know, how much of it is maybe too melodramatic, uh, but they 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 are taking the time to do that, and hopefully we're we're pointing that out when it happens. And you know, Ken, you raised a good question a couple of weeks ago: Was all of that earned? Sometimes it's earned, sometimes not. But but, hats off to them for putting that in there. You know, we we talked when we did uh, our discussion about the original series how these characters are such fan favorites. Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu, but then you get through the original series and you go, hey, they really didn't have a whole lot to do. I really don't know anything about these people at all. It's only because of the movies
7: mm-hmm.
0: that they came back and at least got a moment that it helped to cement who they are.
1: Yeah. That's well, definitely true of a lot of the TOS people, except I would argue for Uhura. I think Uhura actually got, got a couple of really standout moments, especially the one where I think Spock says to her, nobody else can do this but you. I mean, he, he entrusts a lot to her in those times. But yeah, I mean, there, there, there are a lot of things that were, yes, about sort of these characters reaching out to each other. At the same time, it felt like some of the more problematic things they were saying, well, no, it'll, it'll, it'll just be fine. It'll just be fine with it. I'm thinking particularly about um, Culber. Mm-hmm. Culper went through so much bad stuff this season and last season. Obviously, what with his, you know, being dead, um, it just uh, he was he was basically told by a couple of people, well, just you know, go ahead and get over it, because because you know I I lost somebody that I care about, so you should you know be with that person or uh, loving somebody as a decision, so why don't you just go ahead and decide to love this guy. I mean, there was a, and that's actually, that was not introduced as a theme, although it could have been, I know there are a lot of people who think that uh, Wilson Cruz played PTSD amazingly well in that episode, but um, uh, we, we kind of, we kind of swept his having been dead for a year, not really dead actually, but it turns out being hounded for all that amount of time by things that were sort of scary and trying to kill him. Uh, we kind of swept that under the rug a bit Um yeah, which now it sounds like I'm complaining. I'm sorry. I, I do, I do like, I, yes, I do like the, uh, the, the, the emotional moments that we did get, uh, especially the earned ones, I think. Um, I didn't want to ask you, John, mm-hmm. and I'll, and I'll ask you, Karen, as well, and anybody else. How about Burnham saying to, uh, uh, to Sarek, uh, please take care of Spock. And he's like, Hey, he started it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. What else do you expect?
1: Yeah, it's, it's from the from the third worst father in the galaxy, I think.
0: Yes.
6: Well, I kind of feel there like that happens. If you don't talk to each other, mm-hmm. you don't know what the other person is actually thinking. And you can have this whole disconnect of, hey, he doesn't want me to talk to him. I'm not going to talk to him. Oh, I disappoint him. He doesn't even want to talk to me. I mean... I can actually see that in a fuller sense playing out in the moment, in a tiny moment like that. I don't know if that carries, but on the other hand, I totally have.
1: Oh, sure.
6: Kind of been there in some ways. So yeah.
1: But, and you, ha- you honestly have to have Sarek say that at that point too, because otherwise Michael Burnham says, take care of Spock. And he's like, oh, I will, you know? So, I mean, you at least have to have him explain why he's not gonna cause he's not gonna, Um, Karen, we actually do have a few other people lined up. Is there anything else you wanted to hit tonight?
6: Well, the one thing I wanted to mention that you should think about, um, I was as far as hopes for season three, I kind of hope that we have a baby Zora. I mean, we've got the ingredients for the, uh, AI that ends up in Calypso on the discovery computer with Ariam's memories, the computer and the sphere data, which was protecting itself, it was obviously somewhat integrating into the ship's systems. Is this what births the idea of baby Zora? And what if next year they start to notice little things about the computer, whatever their situation is, and it's like, did that was that huh, no? And what if you have a little growth of this of this AI that they can nurture and turn into a moral A.I. with a compass that is based in their nurturing and their ideals and their morals, because control was nurtured by Section 31, all these gray people.
0: Right. And see how interesting a conversation that would have been to have had at some point during season two of Discovery. <laughs> you know?
1: But Karen's right, we might get that in season three. If they suddenly start noticing that, then you know, yeah. it might it might be Saru or Burnham or whoever who's like, well, you know, kill it quick. And then everybody yeah. else might be like, well hang on a second. Because yeah. all it did was make my make my, you know, Mocha Chino exactly the way I like it. Right. Which it learned. So maybe we should teach it to be nicer as well. Learn
6: from the control situation because they all know what control was controlled by was section 31 and none of them have a good feeling about the people running section 31 and they, so that's their chance. So I don't know. I think it could create a good situation. I hope, I kind of hope we see that.
1: Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. Hey, Karen, we do have to jump to some other people, but thank you very much for calling in and uh, and do it again. Okay.
6: Great. Thanks guys.
1: Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to give out the number, John, because I think we're, we're like, we're, we're stacked. So yeah, we, we probably- are like go right right away to rose don't you think
0: yeah hey rose what's up tonight
2: hi can you hear me
0: we sure can
2: well that's great um i only just found about this a couple of hours ago and i was like yes i, I get to uh, be a part of this <laughs>
0: fantastic are you calling from new zealand yes i am wow all right how, I mean, how is life in the future
2: <laughs> well, we're in autumn, so it was five degrees last night, and now we're at twenty degree day. So, um, it's wild.
0: It's like a whole other world. Okay, <laughs> so uh, what is on your mind tonight, Rose? Oh,
2: yeah, world. <laughs> um, we, uh, my flatmate and I, um, watched obviously the the finale of Discovery, and it blew our minds. Um, it was amazing. We have absolutely enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed the second season. Um, you really hit hit the ground running there with that, um, from the writers to the character development um, to the directors, uh, and yeah, really um, staked your claim in Trek universe. I'd have to say.
1: What was the thing that uh, What was the thing that, that did it for you most in season two?
2: Oh, it's quite a few different things. I mean my favorite characters um are Saru and Tilly. Um but in season two, when Pike and Spock turned up, well, <laughs> that kind of added to the list of favorite characters. Um um uh, my friend he's he likes Arium. So when Arium what happened to her, we were just like, What what just happened? Um oh so many different things. Um When Saru lost his ganglia and turned into a a predator species, and he was going full teenager mode—you make me do this, not oh I don't know, maybe I won't do this—he's just turning around, going, "You're telling me what to do? You better give me a reason why." Like that was absolutely chilling to see to see the difference, and then how he kind of evened out after a while with um, Pike's nurturing kind Uh, of—he he's a really Amazing captain, the pike that was chosen, um, and handles all of the crew with just kind of this um, stoic nobility uh, that's come in that's very, very different to obviously Kirk. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah.
1: You bring up an interesting point. I wonder what Suru is going to be like without an obvious commander. Because, I mean, obviously, when, when he, was, uh, he was kind of being nurtured, as you say, by uh, Giorgio uh, back on um, the Shenzhou a million years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, certainly he was performing under Lorca, but, I mean, obviously wasn't nurtured by him. No. Went through this really drastic change with Pike, who we discussed earlier maybe the most Starfleet captain that yeah. Starfleet has ever produced. Yeah, yeah, totally. And now he's not going to have anybody who is automatically his superior. A thousand mm-hmm. years from now, it'll be kind of curious to, it'll be curious to see whether they explore that or if they just you know keep making him sort of the sassy, um, sassy guy who used to be afraid of re- everything and isn't anymore.
2: Well, we're we're just doing a rewatch of season one, um, just to re- get that back in our heads, knowing what we know now, and the episode um, where Lorca gets basically kidnapped and Saru takes the command chair. And Burnham's coming at him and Stamets is coming at him um, about, we can't use the tardigrade. And he basically flips his nut at them saying, do not usurp me. I'm in charge. You keep looking down at me because of who I am or what I am. Don't do that. It's like he's really hurt by them. And he's using that instead of an actual command. Um, but with season two, I think he's actually learned correctly how to command when when needed to. So when we're we're heading into the future, I feel like he might actually be able to kind of spread his wings a little bit easier than say it was in season one.
0: Hmm. Keith in the chat says, uh, Captain Saru, he'll cut you, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe just some throw some spikes at you.
1: I was going to say, well, he's got that knife of his sister's, and he? he's got the teeth yeah. that come out of his neck. So really, yeah. there are a number of ways he could get you. Yeah. Plus, he's strong. And, he, and he's got hooves. So yeah. Really oh, got
2: yeah, this. the wicked kick out of him. Yeah.
1: Any number of ways he could get you. Hey, my Rose, main, we do, go ahead.
2: Uh, my main question, though, is uh, I've got two questions. The, the first one is, because we're jumping into the future, will we get futuristic r- remake uniforms? Because so far all of the other uniforms are 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 set in stone. We will will we get to see a new Starfleet uniform?
1: Hmm. Well, will there still be a Starfleet? That's actually probably the first question. And then
0: are there are there better uniforms? Very I true. Think? Very true. My my gut reaction would be to say no. That they'll probably stick with what they have because they they're in totally uncharted territory. It is kind of that Voyager premise. Just mm-hmm. say like. OK, if we are completely uh, away from everything that we know, uh, everything that we understand, how do we stay who we are? Do we want to stay who we are? You know, what are the principles we stick to? But, of course, there's sort of a technological barrier there, too. They, they have the technology that they took with them and uh, presumably all the patterns in the uh, replicator that they took with them. So, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I would say that uniforms stay. And what was your other question?
2: And my other question is what I think uh, quite a lot of other people are asking as well as the petition that I'm pretty sure everyone is aware of. Where's our Pike spinoff?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. Yes. Right. From yeah. your mouth to uh, CBS's ears, I think is yep. really the, the big scary eyes ears would be the way to uh, hopefully have that happen. Hey, mm-hmm. thank you very much. For, I can't believe you called in all the way from New Zealand. Do it again sometime. Thank you okay?
2: you for uh, letting me call in.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Till next time, Rose. Thank you. And looks like we have waiting for us now. It's Matthew. Let's uh, let's go over to Matthew. Uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, I believe. Uh, let's see. We need to unmute Matthew. There We're we done? go. Yeah. Done.
7: What's <laughs> up? Uh, this is you're you're keeping it international. This is uh, Japan. Oh wow! Wow.
3: Meeting
7: when you guys do this, so I'm happy to be on vacation and call. <laughs> wow, right on. A- as
0: E.L.O. said, all over the world.
7: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I think we finally crossed the line where uh, Star- Discovery is, has its Star Trek DNA for me. Uh, I watched season one. I kind of liked it. I listened to Mission Log and watched it again a few months later, started to really like it, sent it to my dad here for Christmas, thinking he was going to hate it. He loved it. So um, I, I've been through season two, but we're spending this vacation week uh, mainlining through season two of uh, Discovery now. Wow. All right. So you, you finished uh, season two so far? Well, he's stuck on uh, Talos four at the moment, but uh, <laughs> he doesn't care about spoilers. So we're oh, okay.
0: Cause I, I was about to say, I'm very sorry that we just spoiled everything for you.
7: No, no, we're, we're good with the spoilers, but uh, from last night, uh, a possible trivia question for you guys uh, going back to be what's cooler. Uh, Time crystals or time, uh was it time tsunamis? <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> but see that that is a better trivia. If we asked time crystals or Folgers crystals. Clearly I chose
7: Folgers for
0: that. Yes. Yeah. Clearly, the winner would be time crystals. But uh, regardless,
7: <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, time tsunami. You do not want to be stuck in at all. Hey, uh, let, let, let me ask you guys a question. Uh Going forward. Do you have any specific uh, uh, hopes, aspirations, something you want to see in Series 3? I oppose that to both of you, even though Dad has not finished Season 2.
7: Well, we glimpsed it back in Enterprise. Do you remember that? Far future Enterprise. You want to see that?
3: Sure. (laughs) I've been thoroughly entertained by the the, the last two years' worth of uh, uh, production and creation. Uh, but it's it's extremely entertaining. The production values are terrific. Uh, I am somewhat impaired in my hearing, so I get to watch it four or five times and pick up something every time. Uh, but it, it's great entertainment. I'll I'll go for whatever they want to deal out.
0: Excellent, very but cool I have guys.
3: Old timey comments down the line if
7: you want. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. he's an original TOS watcher. Wow. He got me into show when I was uh, three years old. Um, wow! So we connected it's with TOS. We connect with TNG, uh, D Space Nine, Voyager. I like those. We never connected much. Enterprise. We did a little. And yeah. uh, movies. Um, I always call great movies terrible Trek. Uh, the Abrams first. <laughs> 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 mm.
1: Well, I think I. Well, we we did this last week or two weeks ago. I, I think Beyond actually hits Trek. On some levels, but yeah, I get what you're saying. But they are fun movies, you know, either way. Um uh, I hate to do this. John, we should yeah. we should move on, shouldn't we? I don't yeah, want I to I know we,
0: we, we got three or four more people standing by, but uh, We had a fantastic all, time, guys. Enjoy your time overseas. Thank you so much for calling <laughs> in. Little long yeah. prosper for both of you and, and you. This again, okay?
7: <laughs> there
0: it
1: goes. Yeah, please give us a call back because we'd love to hear from you again. Take care. Uh Really quickly, I want to remind people after this show, you're going to want to stay on Facebook and check out another Roddenberry podcast. It is Priority One, the Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, each Tuesday at 11 Eastern, excuse me, 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony uh, bringing news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. So when we are done here, grab a snack, then come back, go to facebook.com slash Priority One podcast, check out what they do. And if you can't join them live, Uh, Go to podcast.roddenberry.com, and you'll find their show there and all the other shows from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, And with that bit of business out of the way, we're back into the business of the show.
0: Okay, and the next business is going to be headed up by Josh. So, Josh, I I, I hate that we're coming up against the clock here, but we want to get through as many callers as we can. So what have you got for us tonight?
8: Uh, Yeah, basically, let's start this way. How familiar are you with the Harry Potter
0: series? Uh, fairly, uh, very little. Ken, Ken, much okay, more so.
8: Well, suffice it to say, I as I watched season two, it occurred to me that this the Red Angel storyline wore a striking resemblance to the events of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban
1: with with the uh, Basically, with the time turner, you mean?
8: Yeah, well, yeah, not just that, uh, the, the in the third, yeah, the whole uh. Late in the book, uh, Harry and his friends witnessed several of the plot threads coming to a head in rapid fire succession, just as Discovery was tracking down the first three signals. And it culminated in Harry's experience, uh, seeing someone conjuring kind of a Patronus. And he thought it might have been his dead dad, just as they captured the Red Angel and they found out it was, it might have been Harry or Burnham's mom. So yeah, in essence, to, to make a long story short, in, in short, the Raid Angel turns out to be, for all intents and purposes, Michael Burnham's Patronus.
1: That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting idea. I mean, it's, I, you know, honestly, when you brought up Harry Potter, I thought what you were going to do was the uh, the the captain of Discovery is the defense against dark arts. Uh, That's
8: another uh, C-R-A-N.
1: Yeah, because that is that. Uh, sorry, you don't understand that joke, John basically, the defense against the dark arts uh, professor gets changed every year either because they go off to do something else or they get promoted to something else or they get you know either killed or you know uh, in some other way ruined by having that job huh. which uh, which so far has kind of been like being captain of uh, captain of discovery um,
8: well thank you for having me on uh, you might remember me from the comment section and I'm, I'm sort of a semi regular commenter on the Regular show. But anyway, oh, fantastic. Thanks well, thank again. you. Take care. Thank, thank you very much care. for Talk calling in.
1: We, we do appreciate it. Uh, just barreling right through. It's our friend Benjamin. Our yeah. Friend Benjamin the line. What's up tonight, What's tonight
3: up Benjamin? Benjamin. Hey, fellas. How you guys doing?
0: Uh oh. Doing all right. Barely hear you, but uh, doing okay. What, uh, what, what sexy pinball machine are you next to tonight?
3: I'm next to a Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: Nice. There we go. Now I can see it. Beautiful. It's-
3: it's the pinball that reminds you of when Star Trek was better. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That's right. My phaser 2 is set to stun tonight. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Wait.
1: I'm right there with you. Oh, right yeah. There,
0: there you go. There you go. Wait, I don't have any phasers on oh. this oh. wall. Oh. Yeah, I
1: know. It's kind of crazy. You got every other Star Trek toy, though. So, really, I don't... know. I know. I know. Hey, what's on your mind tonight, Benjamin?
3: Uh, I, what's on my mind is that uh, this show really reminds me of why fan fiction remains in the realm of fan fiction. Um, I'm really disappointed in Star Trek Discovery, and I, I, I hate saying that. I was really excited about a new Trek show. I was an early booster for the idea. I loved the name. I loved what that seemed to promise. And this feels like fan fiction run amok. Um, I don't inherently have a problem with the idea that Spock had a sister that we didn't know about. But having everybody leap into the future is kind of Star Trek's way of being like, but in the end, it was all a dream. It feels phony. It feels forced, and it feels unnecessary. Um, And I don't know that it enriches anything about the Star Trek that I've known until now at all. And And there are ways that they could have told an interesting story about a person living in Vulcan and having to confront that culture without leaning into... Known characters for no real constructive purpose that 's point one, but please butt in if you need to
1: <laughs> well I, w- I will say really quickly the one i mean I, I keep coming back to it i 'm excited about going a thousand years in the future because it 's a thousand years in the future now you could say why didn 't they just start that way, and I might be with you except At the very least, with the last two seasons, they've given us characters whose names we know and who we have some sort of relationship with before we go to something that, you know, a lot of people are going to have trouble understanding. Um, And I'm not saying... Go ahead.
3: I heard an article, I read an article once about, you know, if they took somebody from medieval times and pulled them forward into today, it's possible that they might just simply die of shock because they would have no frame of reference for anything that was going on just walking down the street and there's something about pushing everything so far into the future that I find kind of uncompelling because we may as well just be fantasy at that point. Why bother grounding it in science fiction at all? I mean, the, the science that would exist would be, would be that Arthur C. Clarke thing that they kind of name-checked back in Episode 2 of this season when I was very excited about the show.
1: Well, assu- assuming that things have gone well.
3: Sure, but if they haven't, then it's just a wasteland and that's no fun.
1: Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, they're, they're taking, I mean, it feels like they're taking risks doing it.
3: If, um, if I if I wanted more dark science fiction, I would stick with black mirror, which is fantastic, but I always feel like I'm going to get it every time I tune into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I, you know, what I hate is so we're sort of doing the same kind of thing next week. And so we're also doing it with a guest and assuming it's the guest that we, that we think we have, i'm actually going to encourage you to call back next week because the guest that we think we have is somebody who uh who writes science fiction and and the kinds of things that you're bringing up are the kinds of things that i would love to have somebody who actually you know does this (laughs) yeah Yeah, well please do give us a call back early next week unfortunately uh we we've, we've hit the we've hit the clock again john
0: yeah, we have. And uh, but again, we will see you, Benjamin again. We will be back talking more disco next week in our, our two parter season two wrap up. And as uh, Ken mentioned, we should have that special guest on to uh, go even deeper into the ideas and ideals of discovery. So until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women of Work, Priority One, and The Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look over at patreon.com slash mission log. Some fun items there, including early access videos to Mission Log. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week.